0: this is what we all need. This is the message we need to get across. Just open up. The first thing is it's going to release a severe amount of your own tension, tension and angst. That is the first point. Something that you've been keeping inside you for so long, hidden because of the shame and the embarrassment that you hold. It just Just release it. There's no reason for you to keep it there anymore.
1: Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work.
2: Hi there. It's a Friday morning. It's about 20 to 9 in the morning. And I'm just getting ready for today's episode of Silent Superheroes with somebody called David. David is a radio celebrity from Malta, which is an island in the Mediterranean. And we got connected uh, via a couple of hops. My uh, oldest friend, Matt, is uh, from Malta. We met in college. And he introduced me to his friend, Mark, who's running a mental health conference in Europe uh, in the fall. And when I spoke to Mark, he said, oh, you have to speak to David. You guys get on really well. And I did speak to David, and it was a great conversation. He talked about the anxiety, the depression, the panic attacks that he's lived with, and how ultimately he had to come out as a radio presenter and say, Hey, listen, there's something going on for me. I have these problems with my mental health. And that opened up a new kind of forum for him to talk about uh, these kind of issues. So, in today's conversation, I'm hoping maybe we can understand a little more about the cultural differences that may exist between Malta and the United States as it relates to mental health. I'm wondering about the calculus for a celebrity. It's a big step um, to take off your public mask and say, hey, there's something going on behind this mask. I'm fascinated to, to hear more about how one thinks about that. And I want to know what was important to David about telling his story and choosing to take his mask off. So um, I'll speak to you again on the other side of the recording and remember if anything you hear inspires you to make any kind of change to the way you approach treating a a mental illness please consult with your uh, trained medical professional and as ever my name is James Pratt, I'm the host of Silent Superheroes and I'm really glad that you're here. So welcome to Silent Superheroes, I'm here with today's guest David. David welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, James.
2: Like, let's start your story at the end. So, like, who are you right now? Who are you, what do you do?
0: Who am I right now? That's a very, very good question. Uh, I am, well, a semi retired at this stage radio personality, as well as a headhunter and recruitment specialist who owns his own company and does some blogging regarding mental health and physical health on the side. So you could say I'm a a man of many talents, probably a master of none, but you know, at least I'm getting myself out there. I've never had the chance to listen to your show, but I will at some point. I'm sort of semi-retired. So I'm I'm actually not on the air just recently for the first time in a long time. So I'm I'm enjoying a little bit of a hiatus. Let's say that. You mentioned mental health blogging.
2: What is it that you
0: uh, manage and deal with? Oh, well, I've I've been managing and dealing with, um, well, basically a couple of mental health issues for approximately the last 30 years or so. So uh, various forms of depression and anxiety throughout the years. So these are the things that I I try to manage on a a daily basis. And, uh, well, after a long time, finally feel that I'm sort of getting on the better end of it, which is is great news for me. And, uh, you know, it has been a relatively... Difficult struggle at times. So, uh, you know, I'm very happy to maybe it's maturity or experience or just taking different approaches, but I'm very happy to finally, for the first time, recently at least in a long time, feel that I am sort of on the winning side of of the battle, which is, uh, you know, I understand that it is a battle and, you know, in some respects, it's one that you're never fully going to win or. Or end, but um, but you know, again, it's uh, it's something that I I still deal with every day, and and, you know, and and so far, so good. We're we're getting we're getting on the good side of it.
2: Let's talk about those two conditions: depression and anxiety. Because anxiety is a an umbrella for a broad, broad range of different disorders, from you know, panic disorder, generalized anxiety, OCD, etc., and then depression. And everyone's experience is a little different. So, why don't you explain? Typically, what has your experience been of depression and anxiety?
0: Let's start with the depression side of things. You know, it, it, it has generally been, I guess the, the best way to describe it is, is, is a, an overwhelming sense of being able to, or not being able to pull myself out of the negative. I think that's the best way to describe it. Over the many, many years, I've always felt like there was something on top of me, weighing me down, keeping me down, not allowing me to be happy, live happy, see the positive side of life. And, and that, for me, in essence, is what depression has been. It's just this overwhelming and for the majority uncontrollable sense of not being able to dig myself out of this negative hole that uh, that I had been in for, for so many years. So I think on the depression side, that, that has been sort of the main gist of it. it. It hasn't been a constant depression. There had been good moments, there had been bad moments, but I would say overall over the course of 30 years, 75% of my time would have been in, in a depressive state, which was uh, which was quite difficult to deal with. On the anxiety side, I, I, I suffer from a few different variants. So uh, I am prone to the odd panic attack. Um, not so much these days, thankfully, because it is quite an awful affliction for those who are listening who have been through it before. They will know. But I, I do have a tendency to to get one of those from time to time, not so much anymore, thankfully. But also, you know, I have other variants, you know, general anxiety. I have what you might call OCPD, so obsessive compulsive personality disorder. I'm not a guy who needs to switch on and off the light 20 times before I leave a room, but I'm very uncomfortable when things aren't a certain way. So um, I think that's probably the best general way to describe it. And I think those are the things that I've mainly been dealing with over the years.
2: Interesting. So I've not heard somebody talk about... Uh, OCPD before, and so give an example of a a situation where you need things to be a certain way.
0: Uh, Well, you know, I'm a family man, so I live live with my wife and, and my two children, and there are certain scenarios, even simple things around the house, that make me agitated and uncomfortable. Um untidiness, uh, doors being left open, um, things being moved. Uh, I do like a a certain order in my life, you know, and that's not just in terms of routine, but also physical order. So seeing things placed a certain way, you know, I'm not trying to say that if it's not, it's going to send me over the edge, but I still, I get a feeling of, of nervousness and uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortableness when I, when these things sort of occur. So, um, it has had worse moments and, and, and okay moments over the years. You know, I, I tend to feel that with all the conditions that I have, one seems to feed off the other. So when you're, when you're, for example, when I'm in the, the deepest part of my depression, I'm more likely to get anxiety and panic attacks. And, and, and at the same time, my OCPD will trigger itself as well. When I'm not so negative, Things tend to see, well, they, they tend to be a little bit easier. Um, but that's sort of the general kind of scenario that I have regarding this OCPD. Even in my workspace, and, and I do feel occasionally sorry for the people who have to work around me, uh, <laughs> I'm quite obsessive with things being in a certain order, in a certain way um, around my environment. So I would say that's the best way to describe it.
2: Back to anxiety for a second.
0: Uh, You talked about generalized anxiety
2: disorder. So for somebody who hasn't experienced that, what's been your experience?
0: I get these moments in my life where I get this general sense of feeling overwhelmed. And I think at those moments, it becomes very, very difficult to deal with even the most simple things in life, and I think for me that 's the generalized part of the anxiety there's no specific trigger uh, there are no specific symptoms, but it's sort of um, it's just sort of a pattern you get into when your mindset becomes in a certain way and for me, it is that general overwhelming sense whether it is because i 've got too much going on in my life, or there's a bunch of negative things that are happening, or just very simple, I find myself in, you know, in a rather more depressive state than I might be normally, this can sort of trigger these kind of anxiety moments. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing specific to say about it. And I'm no expert, I can only just recollect my own experiences. But you know, that's my, at least vision of what, how I suffer from general anxiety. Um, And it is, you know, it's. The one thing that I dislike about it the most is the way I become and the way I treat others when I'm in that moment. And it's, uh, you know, I become very, very impossible to live with. There have been point, points in the past when it's got at its absolute worst that I could not even speak. Uh, for hours and sometimes days not i couldn 't utter a word the I would close up my body would just seize and close and and it wouldn 't want to do anything and uh, that is when I know that my my anxiety has reached a, a very concerning level i mean overall it doesn 't happen too much these days because depression i think i can i can handle rather well anxiety for me is a bit of a tricky one i, I don't like being in that state uh, but of course i've I've learned over the years that there are ways to to deal with it and, and sort of get you, get yourself through such moments quicker than you know than i would in the past
2: so kind of listening to you describe anxiety you talk about you know life gets really busy and a little bit overwhelmed got too much going on a cynic is going to sit here and say oh well, everyone has to put up with that. What's so special about your experience? And like, you know, why can't you just, you know, get through it like I can? So how do you think about that? Cause I think that's right on the cutting edge of the stigma around mental illness.
0: Well, what's people who who would think that way fail to understand is that both depression and anxiety from the way I see it and the way it's been described to me, these are things that build up over a number of years. So, uh, in many, in many cases, it's usually drawn out by some kind of trauma. Whenever things happen in your life, if you're at an early age, if you're at a, you know, if you're at a, an age where you're still developing and you've got things going, negative things going on around you, already you are no longer being a child. You're being exposed to things of an adult nature. For someone who has not been exposed to these sort of things at an early age, they might seeing these stressful scenarios begin. 16, 17, 18 years old, if they're super relaxed and been in a super nice environment all their life. It might even start at 24, 25 when work starts to get heavy, when they get married, when they have the responsibility of children and bills and mortgages. So these things come at a later life and then they have the tools to deal with them. If you've been under the gun, as I might say it, for longer than is normal, For example, if you're an eight year old, or I can, I can say in my situation, I was a, from the age of six, I had, a, a, had alcohol in the family. There was depression in the family. There was emotional and psychological abuse in the family. This is from six years old. Um, my sister spent two years in hospital with a, with a brain tumor, and this is in the 80s when a brain tumor was almost a, a death sentence. Thankfully, she, she got through it. Uh, but we had all these things going on at, at home at the age of six. So by the age of even 12 or 13, Anxiety and depression was already, was already clear within me. So I had all these really heavy things happening in my life at the de- developmental stage, which um, then, of course, when you add on later on in life, work, career, kids, family, uh, responsibility, everything just keeps building and building and building on top until it becomes just too heavy again i think the difference is if you start if the pressure starts at 10 years old it's very different to when the pressure starts at 22 years old and i think that's the best way to describe it so you've got the the, the trauma
2: side but then you also got the predisposition right and that's a different building block than the trauma because you could have pre-, pre predisposed no trauma you could have trauma no predisposition you could have both you could have neither, and both of those things can increase the likelihood and get you started earlier as you say on that path to eventually experiencing the anxiety or, or depression
0: I, I agree with that 100 percent. i mean there are people who can be born with it i mean my, my family has a very long history of depression um and anxiety in the family as well i mean my mother uh for for the longest time i can remember her dealing with her own as I hate to say the word demons, but I think it's a, it's a it's a very common way of saying it. She had her own demons to deal with throughout the years, and, and I even saw it in her parents as well. So, you know, the, the, yes, you're right. It, it can come from a number of different angles, but I think the end result is is the same, and that is, you know, of the obvious shift of chemicals within your brain, uh, without which, uh, you know, without help, which won't recover. And it's as simple as that, and this is. This is where I think understanding mental health becomes so much more important because without, without the help, you are not going to recover. It's as simple as that. You are, recovery is not even the right word because you don't really recover from this. You learn how to maintain it. And I think, I think that is an important statement to say. However, you won't. Without the proper treatment, and I'm talking about both in terms of therapy and medication, you will not be able to do that. You know, you may be the most strong-willed person in the world, um, and you will still have difficulties dealing with mental health issues because of the physical aspects of it. And that is, of course, the difference in chemicals in your brain, the stigma that mental health is is just people who can't handle stuff or people who are weak is just the most ridiculous thing ever. It's the, most, it's the biggest misconception out there. It is, not, it is an injury. And I'm not talking about an injury in terms of you whacked your head against the wall. I'm talking about it is an, it is an injury to the, the balance of your brain and the way it works and the way it functions and the chemicals that are in there. And it, without treatment, it's just not going to heal. The same with if you have... If you have heart issues and clogged arteries without a bypass, it's not going to end well for you. It's the same with mental health. If you have mental health issues and you're not finding the root causes and then treating it with the right medical uh, you know, expertise, then you, you're going to have the same issues and nothing is going to improve for you.
2: I'm going to go off down a flight of fancy here for a second. You said that you know, with mental illness, depression, anxiety, like... Society thinks of it as like people who can't handle stuff, and that's like where the stigma comes from. This person can't handle stuff. When you're depressed and anxious, you can't handle stuff. It's actually true. So, for, for me, for me, the problem is, is is society's expectations that everybody handles stuff all the time.
0: That's a very good point it's it's a very good point you and I agree with it too it's society has always been the problem, hasn't it you know when it comes to this particular you know area of society it, it is it is the it is the perception of of what it means in society, and you know I think that's the only thing we need to change and it is getting better over time. It's not there yet. Of course, we know that. There are a lot of people who really haven't taken the time to understand what mental health is. And I think, you know, most people know what heart disease is. Most most people know about cancer. Um, Most people know about a torn hamstring, but not a lot of people still know about, you know, mental health imbalances and i think it's the education side of it that is the issue and that is where the perception comes in and um but i agree with you it is basically a person not being able to handle certain things but understanding the reasons for it is equally as important i think
2: that's not their fault That's society's expectations fault Living with mental illness can be overwhelming. I'm not confining that statement just to the experience of being depressed or having a panic attack. I mean the overall experience. What treatment should I try? What therapist should I use? Are my medications working? Will my insurance pay for the new medication I need? The ephemer of mental illness is a lot to take on, on top of the actual illness itself. And there's another layer of complexity beyond even this. For example, I know people with bipolar who are unaware. That there are two different types of bipolar that have different symptoms requiring different management strategies. In this conversation with David, I was fascinated to find out that there is an OCD variant called OCPD. We could spend a lifetime getting to know and understanding the illness we manage. And I guess my point is, you're never done learning how to manage a mental illness. Now, so many people experience mental illness, and many aren't sure where it came from. I love that David took a dive into the causes of and the on-ramp to anxiety and depression. I'd heard mental illness described using the repeated injury metaphor before, but the context was describing how to manage the condition once you have it. I'd not heard the idea that the accumulation of trauma or injury in childhood can greatly accelerate the onset of anxiety and depression. Maybe that was obvious to you, but it was a valuable reminder to me where some people hit bottom sooner rather than later, and an affirmation, perhaps, that our illness isn't entirely our fault. Moving on, we're going to hear more about David's story, including how a man with Maltese blood ends up with an Australian accent, the experiences growing up that led him to anxiety and depression, and what it was that caused him to seek out a psychiatrist who finally diagnosed him. You've talked a little bit about your background and how there are aspects of the way that you were raised that have led you to experience anxiety and depression um i'd love to hear a little bit of your backstory because from your accent um you don't sound to me like you have spent your whole life in malta
0: no, no i haven't in fact i so i'm maltese by birth and maltese blood so both of my parents are maltese um for those who don't know the story of malta post world war ii it was a very, very difficult time in the country. Um, obviously Malta strategically was a very important uh, part of World War II and it was <laughs> bombed to hell during the, the, the war itself. And there was a good 20 years of, of depression, uh, Great Depression after, after World War II. So many, many, many people decided to leave the island for a better life. Australia, where my parents ended up going, Canada, the United States were three of the main areas that people fled to uh, in search of a better life. My parents were no different. So they they left Malta in the late 60s uh, at the time, with just my my older sister, and uh, when my mother became pregnant in Australia with me, she became homesick, uh, decided to come back to Malta. I was born here, and then a few months later, they left again. So, <laughs> 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 so that's that's that was the extent of me being Maltese in those stage, uh, in those stages. Um, so I was, I was brought up in Sydney, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, actually, we, we spent seven years in, in Tasmania before we went up to, to Sydney. And, uh, you know, so I spent you know up until the age of 19 in, in Australia. My family story is that, uh, you know, my parents separated when I was about six years old. Um, my mother had a very difficult upbringing herself. You know, it it was the the forties and fifties in in, in Malta. Uh, so she was born just after the war finished. And, uh, you know, she had problems in her own family with alcoholism and abuse and so forth. So she, she had major problems of her own, you know, um, which is, which was, you know, I, I feel, I really do have a lot of sympathy for her in that respect. Um, so that that was what hair background around came. You know her and my dad were constantly were, you know at each other for the first few years, and then they separated, and we hardly ever saw him again after that for for, for many 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 years. Uh, her turmoil became worse and worse and worse, her alcoholism became worse and worse and worse. Her depression became worse and worse and worse. Um, there were suicide attempts um, there was my sister 's illness there was a lot of things that we had going on um, during that stage. So my time in Australia was very much mixed emotions because growing up in Australia is pretty cool. It's, it's a very nice country. It's, I had a good bunch of friends, you know, um, lived in a pretty rough area, which was also, um, also not the easiest thing when, when you, you get off the bus from school and the best way home is to run pretty quickly at the age of 19. Sort of, I had just finished high school. I was was having a bit of a break before deciding what the rest of my life was going to be like. And my mother decided on a whim that she was going to come back to Malta. Um, my little brother had no choice. He was only 14, so he had to come, but I had a choice. And I said to myself, well, Europe sounds pretty cool and it would be nice to see the country of my birth because we had never been here before. And uh, so we ended up coming over here, you know, at at first it was just supposed to be a short term thing, but it just turned out that I actually never went back and I never, ever lived in Australia again. And I've been in Malta uh, ever since. Um, Thankfully, uh, and I say this with the greatest of respect, thankfully my mother then went back to Australia a few years later. <laughs> and I can actually, it's a pretty its a pretty interesting timeline because the healing process began when she was out of the picture. And, uh, you know, again, I say it with the utmost respect, whilst disappointed that she couldn't overcome her own problems to raise her own children properly, I also have enough experience to understand her background with mental health as well. But I have, a, I have a, a certain amount of sympathy and understanding for for what she also went through when she was in her developmental stage. So so yeah, and then came to Malta, met a really great group of friends, uh, your friends, Matthew and Mark included. And um, my life really started to develop positively from from then, you know, small steps, you know, and then marriage came along and, Kids came along, and uh, it was really that. This is the funny thing. It was really, and I don't want to say this negatively, but it was marriage and children that tipped me over the edge. The responsibility that comes with marriage and children—that was the final, the final two weights that pushed me into the constant state of depression and anxiety. And it was from then that I started to understand, and it was from then that I began to start working. On the healing process so um that's basically my story yeah talk to me about how anxiety and
2: depression showed up for you in the time between arriving in malta and when you could have ultimately
0: um hit your
2: breaking point how did that how did those things grow over that time
0: Uh, well i I think that it was always there to a certain extent it was it was it was more a fact that i was young and healthier and, and and able to deal with it i think but it started to show itself i think um I did have a little a little bit of a problem with, with alcohol myself from the ages of say eighteen to twenty six twenty seven not in the fact that I was alcoholic, I never woke up and wanted to have a have have a drink uh, I just used to enjoy myself quite a lot let's just say that then my life as an adult started to develop, so I had two careers I had started two careers, the radio and the recruitment you know i I had had a lot of fun in my early twenties, but I was getting more serious in terms of you know late twenties, I was getting married and and my kids. And as, as these, what's the best way to put it as these more serious things in life, serious in the terms of their importance. I mean, as these things started to come, I, I started to identify more clearly the feelings and emotions and the problems that I was having. And so as these things, as it all started to sort of unfold, it also started to unravel. And, um, I think that's, that's the way I sort of saw it. I was as ignorant as many people back in those days about what mental health was. I didn't understand it for the longest time. I didn't know what was happening to me for the longest time. I only found out later on in life what was actually happening. I didn't understand depression. I didn't understand mental health. Uh, I just thought that I was, there was something wrong with me and I, I just didn't know what it was. But I think as time, as time moved on at that stage of my life, it progressively got worse and worse, and it came to a head. I think I must have been my in my either my late twenties or early thirties when it really just it just hit me like full on, and I, I just said, "Okay." Before I was thinking I might have a problem, now I'm absolutely certain I have a problem, and um, and that's that was sort of the beginning of me taking the first step to see a, a psychiatrist first and uh, starting to understand more about. The way my mind works and how trauma and and, and all these things has affected it. And then, of course, began the medication. And the the therapy sessions and the learning to deal with it. And, you know, since as the years went on, I read more and more. I tried to understand more and more about mental health. And it became easier for me, not easier in the sense of easier for me to switch it on or off. That's that's not what I mean. Easier in the fact that at least my understanding of the disease became at a higher level. So I knew what I was dealing with. It was just a matter of trying to find the right formula to sort of make myself better.
2: On that journey to um, starting your healing process, what are some moments,
0: some thoughts, some feelings that stick out for you as inflection points? The biggest things that hit me were, so long-term depression, I, I had already been prone to swings. with the depression there would be times when I was at really I was really depressed and there were times where I had really big highs and I was I would swing back and forth more staying in the depressive state but I would have massive swings and then when I realized that for a year or two straight I was just feeling down and overwhelmed and negative and, and hating life and hating myself and and all these things that was I think the overall Turning point in terms of identifying what I was feeling, and then the anxiety came. And I think I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that there were times when I could not function. Uh, I I just really it was so it's so difficult to describe now, but I couldn't function at all. I would sit for hours on end in front of the television and just try and block everything out because my body was so overwhelmed that it was really having trouble functioning as a normal human being does. Uh, The amazing thing was, you know, I was still a radio host at the time. And um, even at my absolute worst, I used to do a five-hour radio show. You know, some of the biggest achievements in my life were getting through those shows um, without people knowing what was going on. And, you know, people who understand mental health also know that over the years, you find a way to try and hide it from people And you become really good at masking it. And so whilst deep down I was an absolute mess, very few people knew. I could put on a face in public. But as soon as I was out of that public eye, I would just crumble completely.
2: We talked before about the ability to function society's expectations. And the great irony is that you could do a five-hour radio show despite the fact you were kind of dead or dying on the inside i have done you know like i've gone to present to the ceo of a company whilst dead and dying you know inside literally having dragged myself out of bed to kind of get get dressed and get to that meeting just so i can do it and then going home and going back to bed again it's like it's almost ridiculous like when we feel the stakes are high enough like we can pull our shit together insofar as we can like pretend well enough
0: I think there's also uh, and, and this is an important thing to understand there's also the shame factor you don't you feel ashamed, you feel ashamed of what you're going through, and you don't want anybody else to see that shame so you your body can be quite resilient when it wants to protect itself and I, I think that is why in these moments, you still somehow manage to dig extremely deep and do what you need to do. And as you said, you know, dealing with, with high-level executives and you could get through it, you, just, you, you found the resources within you that were protecting you from really falling completely to pieces. And those resources got you through the moments that you needed to get through. And I think it's a testament to the resilience of the human body that people can find the will when they want. And it's also a reminder that that will is there. You just have to find it and nurture it and understand it. And use it in the right way.
2: When people ask what silent superheroes means, here's what I tell them Silent superheroes are members of the workforce showing up to their jobs while secretly fighting a battle against an illness inside their head. Just like Clark Kent, they get up every morning, they adjust their shirt and tie, and put on glasses that stop everyone seeing. They're not actually Superman. In today's recording, David is a silent superhero. He showed up for a five-hour radio show whilst in a serious depression, somehow managing to maintain the mask of the bright and breezy radio DJ. He shouldn't have to. Pretending that you don't have a mental illness for the convenience of others is not okay. In some ways, it's not so different from the lepers of yore, hidden away on an island somewhere so the normal folk didn't have to deal with them. Now, fortunately, we aren't confined to an island, but in our workplaces, we're very much alone with our illnesses, dealing with it, fighting through it, so that we don't have to appear weak, so that we don't have to make other people uncomfortable. When I hear David's story, I know superheroes aren't weak. Heading into our final section, David's going to share more about his motivation for unmasking himself and telling his audience about his mental health problems. And we'll talk about the ways David manages and promotes good mental health. You spent a lot of time on the radio wearing a mask while you were trying to figure out these things that you had had going on under the surface. At some point, you took a very bold step, which was to unmask yourself. What's the calculus for somebody who's in the public eye
0: for fundamentally changing your public persona? First of all, for me personally, it was I finally found myself in a place where I had the courage to do it. And I think that was the defining factor for me personally. I finally understood the disease. I finally, for the first time, was winning the battle because for many, many years, I was really losing and losing quite badly. At the same time, it may sound strange, but I I had this overwhelming sense of responsibility to help other people and um, understanding and knowing what I've been through and what I know, I felt almost the duty to get it out there. And, you know, for me, it was a turning point. And I said at that moment that I need to do this for two reasons. I need to do this for my own journey and I need to no longer feel shame about what I have. I need to start adopting the mindset that what other people think of me doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what I think of me. And that that was the biggest turning point for me. I said, okay, I'm going to put it out there. And what people say in return doesn't matter at all. And the good thing was the feedback all came back 100% amazingly positive, which was fantastic. The second part of it was, I said to myself, if I can help even just one person understand that they are not alone, because it is a very lonely disease, if I can get one person, just one, to realize that they're not alone, it will all be worth it. And I hope that I've, I've, I've managed to achieve at least more than one person feeling that. I wanted to ask you about the power of telling telling these
2: stories because you've, done, you've chosen to do it. I've chosen to do it. Everyone who comes on this show has chosen to do it. And what seems to be true is that people want to share these stories so that they can connect
0: with and help others heal and feel less alone. A 100% agree. I think the biggest problem that the world has, and I I'm, I'm, I might be uh, sidetracking here a little bit, this is not just about mental health, but I think the the biggest problem that the world has today is hidden secrets. I think if everybody was completely open and honest about their life, we would have, I think 80, 80% of the world's problems would disappear. That is my personal opinion, and it, and it is exactly the truth for mental health. There is no reason for you not to talk about it anymore. That there, there, there is absolutely no reason. You are not alone. Even if you live by yourself, all your family is dead and you live on an island of three people, you're still not alone. There is someone somewhere who is sharing your experiences. And I think this is what we all need. This is the message we need to get across. Just open up, the first thing is it's going to release a severe amount of your own tension tension and angst. That is the first point. Something that you've been keeping inside you for so long, hidden because of the shame and the embarrassment that you hold, It just, just release it. There's no reason for you to keep it there anymore. And if there is anybody around you who is going to react negatively to that, then you know that they are not worth being in your life and they are also probably a part of your problem. So one of the things that occurred to me a bunch of years ago is that I can no longer have negative influences in my life. Uh, This was a very, very important fact for me. Anybody who didn't bring anything positive to my life is no longer in my life. And that's that's a decision I made a long time ago. One of the best decisions I've ever made. I used to have this mindset that I had to please everybody. Everybody had to like me. I don't care about that anymore at all. All I care about is is that I like me.
2: Yeah, because that's what makes it hard. It's the, it's the what if, like, you know, what if I get rid of the wrong, you know, friend or like, you know, I get rid of this person and everybody else stops, you know, talking to me. Like, will anybody love me? Am I good enough? And I think that you know related to your message is that that everybody should know that they're good enough i think you have found as you've shared your story people find so much power in it and they gravitate towards you like oh my god you're so brave for sharing your story you're like am i though like i'm just saying like stuff that happens to me in, in my life like is that really that that brave i'm just being honest so like i guess we see honesty as bravery
0: yeah, in some ways it is because you know we live in a world where you know let's be honest, haha, um <laughs> honesty is not, you know, a day-to-day occurrence. There are a lot of people who are not honest and there are a lot of people who hide things and you know I going back to what I said about the world being an entirely better place if there were no secrets. I mean there's just it would it just it's so liberating and it's such a great feeling to be open and honest. And You were going back to, you know, people thinking about, oh, will they love me? How are they going to perceive me? What's this? You know, nobody, you can't expect anybody to love you if you don't love yourself. And I think this is a key, a very key sentence. The first person you need to make love you is yourself. And if you don't love yourself, you're going to have major problems with people responding to you. And I think this is something that even me, I learned for the longest time, James, I, I, bloody hated myself, mate. I mean, really, really and truly. I hated everything about me. I hated the way I look. I was, you know, I'm still a pretty big guy, but I was severely overweight. And as my life developed and, you know, as, for example, my mental health started to develop and do better, other things are starting to fall in place as well. I have been severely overweight and obese for, let me do the numbers here, again, 30 years. I mean, it's all intertwined, right? So comfort eating was a big thing for me throughout the years. You know, it it was one of the few things that made me happy. But of course, along with that came some pretty dire consequences, Uh, big weight, you know, cholesterol problems. Thankfully, I don't have diabetes. But as I became aware and made decisions in my life and came out, with regards to certain things in my life, I started to realize as well that in certain areas I've been using my mental health as an excuse. And I think that's unhealthy. I think we need to own our mental health and stop using it as an excuse and start using it as a motivation to both be a better person internally, but, and be a better person for the world overall. And I think this is, you know, I I know it's not as easy as it sounds and, you know, I'm not trying to judge anyone with regards to this. Everyone has their own journey, some more difficult than others. Um, everyone has diff- different levels of inner strength. Uh, everyone has different support systems. There are so many different factors that go into uh, you know, a healing process and being a better person. But you've got to start somewhere, right? And, and loving yourself is one of them. Being honest with yourself is another one. And um, owning up to where you are and what you need to do to be better is, is also, I think, vitally important. It's
2: great to hear you describe how you are in a place where you're going to feel good, positive, like you, you have your mental health for the most part under control. It's obviously a journey to get there. What things have you done over time that have worked and helped you get there?
0: Well, I think, the, I think the key things, the most important things were probably three or fourfold. So first of all is the, you know, the, the therapy and medication. I think, you know, a lot of people want to believe that they can overcome this through their own willpower, and that's commendable, but also not very realistic. For me, therapy was the key factor in, in, in starting the recovery process and maintaining it throughout the years. I mean, I still attend therapy, therapy sessions today, not as as frequent as I used to, but uh, I still, once a month or once every two months, go for a maintenance therapy session, you know, just to make sure that I'm keeping on track, make sure I'm talking about it, making sure I'm helping to keep myself realigned. So I think therapy is, is from, it, for me, it's the number one. Mixed in with the right medication as well. I mean, I've been on medication for fifteen years plus now, and, and you know, without without the use of, of antidepressants and without the uh, the use occasionally of anxiety medication, I really don't know how I'd be. Honestly, again, I remember to the days. I remember back to the days when I wasn't taking medication and how horrific they were, and I remember how immediate the changes started once I became. Um, used to my medication. And once we found the right medication, sometimes it's trial and error. I think on the other side, uh, I think meditation has been a great help to me. Um, I use it in different ways. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit down in my bed, or I'll lie down in my bed, and I'll do a full um, meditation session with a, with a gui- guided meditation. I think, I think for somebody who's really having issues, this is a key a key helping tool. Guided medication can bring you to a really peaceful place, which then in turn helps to relieve some of that pressure that you have going on. I think also the last one I'd like to mention is physical activity, because a lot of the manifestations you'll get physically from from your mental health issues come from a buildup of tension, physical tension, uh, physical pain. And I think exercise is a great way to release that. It doesn't have to be super intensive, but any kind of exercise will help relieve some of the symptoms of physical symptoms you might get with your mental health problems. And so I think those are the, the 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 main things the main tools that i utilize to keep myself on a good path
2: and the great thing about that list is it's so familiar and just a, a list of tools i hear time and time and time again and you know it's almost like everyone should just do those things for the general good of their health and their mental health
0: absolutely i mean the biggest misconception is that mental health problems are rocket science they're not it's it's you know it's these days it's pretty clear what's going on and what what you can do to make it to make it better it's just a matter of finding the will to do it so i think if you are someone who is in any way suffering you have to implement in your life a certain amount of self discipline and force yourself to do these things because that is the clear path to being let's just say a happier version of you you've made
2: An amazing emotional journey from somebody who came from a difficult background, somebody who has wrestled with weight, wrestled with uh, mental illness, who at times has hated himself on the inside, I'm sure. Let's go back in time to a point on that journey before you loved yourself, before you accepted yourself. Let's deliver a message to a younger David, at what point on the journey are we going to go? And what do you want to say?
0: I think uh, I would choose two points, I think. Going back the furthest, I I would get myself at maybe between 16 and 18 years of age. And I would sit down with myself and I would just tell myself, it's okay. You know, what you're feeling, considering the circumstances that you find yourself in, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up, you know. Try and roll with it. Try and understand it, but don't beat yourself up about it. I think that would be the first point. And then the second point would probably be in my mid-20s where I would say to myself, listen, young man, you're not helping yourself. You know you, know you have problems, but you, you're not helping yourself and you need to try better to understand yourself, understand what you're going through and make whatever necessary changes you need uh, to counteract some of the negative things that are happening in your life. So, you know, a lot of people who suffer from mental health might have a support system that can identify earlier what's going on and maybe bring the help system in earlier. I, I didn't have that at all. So this, mine was purely a journey of self discovery. There was absolutely zero outside influence. I, I say zero. Let me say 0.5 because my wife, since we've known each other, has been a great support system for me. She's a wonderful person. She's, she's had to deal, you know living with mental health or living with somebody who has mental health problems is not easy. It can be difficult. And she's been a great support to me. And, uh, you know, without her, I don't think I would be where I am today. Well,
2: now you can take those wonderful messages and pay them forward to those, uh, around you and in your family. And if you can't help that person in the past, you can help people in the future. So David, this has been a wonderful conversation. I wondered before we wrap up, if there are any other things that you wanted to, to say
0: yeah I mean I, I think there's just two things I'd like two things I'd like to point out and and if you're somebody who who's listening to this perhaps or um you know you've you've got mental health problems but you don't know what to do just the, the the only piece of advice I want to give you is find someone close to you and talk about it just talk about it you know that's the first step you don't have to deal with it by yourself there are people who can help you and if you talk about it the likelihood is that you will find somebody eventually who will help you the right way uh so that that is definitely number 1 and number 2 let's get everybody talking about it you know if you identify someone close to you that you can clearly see is struggling i'm not talking about staging an intervention a lot of people with mental health don't want that (laughs) but there are ways there are ways to find out what's going on there are ways to be supportive so if you see somebody around you who you think might be struggling start a conversation and see where it gets you i think even if you're at a bus stop and you talk to the person next to you and that person's having a bad day and you just start talking about problems i think that word of mouth um is also very, very helpful, you know, as it, it becomes, we discussed how it's a lonely disease, you know, if you understand, if you discuss and you experience other people in the same framework, you know, it, it, it is another step towards making it an understandable um, scenario for society. And I think this is a, and it's a, it's a much more, you know, what's the grassroots way to get it sort of on track.
2: That's great. That's solid sounds advice. So I've got a sense for how these stories land when people tell them in the United States and the UK. um, How do people in Malta respond to you talking about your mental health and culturally and how acceptable and normalized is that right now?
0: From my own experience, I mean, the response that I've had has been 100% positive. Nobody has ever given one single negative spin on anything that I've done regarding the discussion of mental health. So I think that is a huge positive in itself. I think Malta is no different to any other country in the world. There's, there could be more education on the issue. Uh, there could be more funding for the issue. And I, I think there could be a greater network of resources available.
2: If anyone in Malta is listening to this, uh, where would be a good place to go for resources?
0: I think the Richmond Foundation locally is the, the place, you know, they're, uh, they're an NGO. Um, so they, they really do a lot of good for the island. They've really raised a lot of awareness. So anybody can go on to, I think it's richmond.org. Uh, if I'm not, that's off the top of my head, but if you Google Richmond Foundation Malta, you'll find it. Uh, I think they're a great, a great, a great source of resource. And, you know, beyond that, just find a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Ask someone, look it up in the yellow pages, whatever, you know, that should be your first step. If you have doubts, if you are struggling, find a professional to guide you. And I think that's, those would be my two bits of advice, but the Richmond foundation, I'd look into that.
2: It's awesome. I looked it up as you were talking. It's, uh, richmond.org.mt. But David, um, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. I'm glad that, um, you know, you came into my life in this slightly random fashion. So much of what you said resonates so strongly for me. So just want to say thank you so much for your time.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me on, James. Anytime you want, I'm always here.
2: Well, I just got done with my conversation with uh, David and I really enjoyed it. I enjoy all these conversations for different reasons. And I think here, apart from the fact that David is a very entertaining person to talk to, what I enjoyed was the familiarity I felt with my own story, that accumulation of wounds over time, starting with some trauma in childhood and continuing into, into adulthood And then finally, the kind of weight of work and family and parenting and everything stacks up to the point that uh, you break. Um, And, you know, we all break in in different ways. For me, it was through uh, drinking, drinking too much, for example. You know, it makes me think of that conversation we had about the expectations of society. Society looking on mental illness as a weakness in some way and realizing that, well, Actually, isn't it a weakness in society that people are expected to be able to put up with a never-ending amount of stress and work and trauma and all that stuff? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. One of the things I wanted to understand from from David was, as a radio celebrity, what made him come out? And what I took away was, like, it just became an imperative. He had to do it. He couldn't not... Do it and not talk about it. And I think that's just a great way for it to, for it to emerge that it's just a necessity. And as he pointed out, you know, if we could all connect more, if we could all talk to the person at the bus stop about what's really going on for them, it could make a big difference in all of our experiences and in all of our lives. Just want to uh, catch one note, which is, I apologize for the sound quality in this episode, particularly of of me. When I got done recording, I realized that uh, the Zoom, which is what I record these remote episodes with, had for some reason switched from my podcasting microphone, which is what you're hearing now, to the internal microphone in the Mac, which is why everything sounds kind of tinny and kind of echoey. Hopefully, I've managed to fix some of it somehow in, in post-production, But uh, if not, apologize just for that slightly um, poor sound quality. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you have, and some of the things that you hear sound like somebody you know, maybe somebody who's struggling, please pass on the episode of the podcast to them and help them feel less alone. And if you're that person who got the podcast, you aren't alone. There's many people out there having those experiences. You can, of course, always like the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com. uh, the Silent Superheroes episodes are now up on YouTube. I can't remember what the um, link for it is, but if you search Silent Superheroes on YouTube, you should find us. And as ever, if you've heard something, you think, oh, you know, I, I might try that. sounds interesting. Make sure you talk to your therapist or psychologist or whoever you're working with before uh, you do. Other than that, I greatly appreciate your time. My name is James Pratt. This has been Silent Superheroes. Speak to you again soon.
1: Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1 800 273 8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741 741. Both provide 24 7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info/slash resources. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.